far, far be it from me to Monday morning quarterback the paid professionals at HBO three years after the fact or assume that I know what George R.R. Martin uh, will or should do with his novels. But, as I explained in my last post, I was not happy with the conclusion of Game of Thrones, and I was not alone. So, as a form of aggrieved fan therapy, uh, I put together a treatment for how I would end the great saga of Westeros, one that is by no means fully fleshed out, but one that I think gives you all of the major plot points and scenes that should give anyone reading and or listening to this uh, a pretty clear idea of what my version of season eight would be like. But first, listener, allow me to set some basic storytelling parameters. As I mentioned before, six episodes was simply not enough to finish this series. And in a truly ideal world, the final season would have been a full season. I'm talking 24 episodes minimum. But let's just say for some reason, it has to be a short season. Okay, the the, the studio has demanded it. I'm going to give myself eight episodes, one episode in honor of each season, I guess, to finish Game of Thrones. Uh, six of these episodes will be one hour and two will be an hour and a half. So that will give me roughly 10 hours to end Game of Thrones. Still too short in my opinion, but certainly more room to wiggle uh, than we got. Now, while I would like to go back even further and change some things in season seven um, as well, I'm not going to, okay? To keep this little fanfic of mine from going completely off the rails, I'm going to start at the same place D&D did in season eight, keeping some of the basic overall structure of season eight uh, while adding my own hopefully new and improved twists and turns. I think that the most interesting thing about Game of Thrones was that it takes place in a fantasy world, but the main characters don't necessarily know it, at least not at the beginning of the series. We have cosmic, supernatural, elemental forces of myth and magic slowly sort of pushing their way into the mundane political drama of the power-hungry tyrants, as well as the brave but usually tragic heroes of Westeros. I want the characters to have been tested a little more. I want them to come closer to the supernatural that has been slowly seeping into their world and now at the end begins to tear that world apart. Season 8, in my opinion, needed to be a narrowing and a tightening of this fundamental tension. And that tension needed to be maintained and increased until the last minute. In other words, our song of ice and fire needed to become a funnel of ice and fire in which these primal forces reach their properly apocalyptic crescendo. And hopefully, our characters and we, the audience, learn something along the way. So, without further ado, let's get into part two of this very special episode of Schizotopia and let the fanfic begin. Alongside yet another wiener, 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 Hello. 
Hello, and welcome to part two of Unlosing the Game of Thrones, Remancing the Throne. Episode one, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. The only episodes of D&D season eight I actually enjoyed were the first two. In order to save vital time, I would simply combine them. John and Danny return to Winterfell, just as Arya does as well. In fact, we could have the episode start from the perspective of Arya. She makes her way through the crowd and sees the royal procession. Sansa and Danny do not like each other and exchange some cold and phony pleasantries that let us know how much tension is brewing between them. Obviously, we keep the scene where Jamie knights Brienne, the high point of D&D's entire season, in my opinion. We cut the Danny and John dragon joyriding scene. Again, there is no time for this stuff. Also, there's like a, a tonal issue where maybe it's like a little bit too much fun before, you know, the coming undead apocalypse. Um, but I suppose we have some tender scene where John shows Danny something about uh, life in the north, something short and sweet before all hell breaks loose, I guess. What we get in addition, however, is we get an extended scene where Bran meets with the former Three-Eyed Raven, who at first doesn't exactly remember who the hell Bran is, because Bran is possibly abusing his green sight, or spirit vision as I prefer to call it, uh, to go back in time to try to learn more about who he is and how he can defeat the Night King. Eventually, the former Raven tells him that he is going to have to do some things and go some places uh, that he does not yet understand, and that he is disturbed that his successor uh, seems to be so lost. Bran breaks down a little and expresses some actual doubt and confusion about his abilities, i.e. we establish that Bran is still human and is still struggling with his um, supposed omnipotence. Uh, he hasn't reached his final test yet. He isn't quite as detached from his earthly life as he may have wanted to believe. I also want to add, as a little aside here, that um, this scene and establishing this uh, retroactive relationship with the original Three-Eyed Raven would kind of imply that Bran may have accidentally selected himself to be the Three-Eyed Raven, <laughs> um, but we wouldn't make that explicit. We would We would just allow that to be a fun fan theory that got um, just ever so subtly weaved into the Game of Thrones universe. And as a, another aside, just because I got to get the boring stuff out of the way here, I'm sorry. The reason why we got to, even if it's slightly retconning, the reason why we got to deal with this brand green sight, spirit vision, time travel stuff, the reason why we have to deal with it is because in D&D's original version, uh, you know, in their, in their season eight, what was so egregious is that it, it seems like Bran allowed all of these people to die so he could be king. Like when he says, why do you think I came all this way? It makes you think, well, wait a second, why he he couldn't have warged Daenerys' dragon? Like he couldn't have done anything. There's no other path that could have been taken. All of these people had to die because he just knew he was destined to be king. There was nothing else he could, could have done. If you really think he's fully omnipotent, it, it, it feels like he, he won the Game of Thrones because he just happened to have this superpower that he used for completely self-interested reasons. So whatever. That's This is why, just want to underline, this is why we got to deal with this. And it is implied that he was slightly under-trained 
Um, he, he didn't get as much time with the original uh, Three-Eyed Raven as they had wanted uh, because the Night King caught up with him. So I think it makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense to have Bran still be a little undercooked, a little, um, a little undertrained, a little not fully sure of himself. Um, a little a little lost in his own magical thoughts, so to speak. Anyway, moving on. Gendry uh, confesses his love to Arya, who seems to reciprocate. They share a kiss, and Gendry begins to speak of a life after the war. But this disturbs Arya, who suddenly becomes cold, as though remembering her sense of duty and quest for vengeance, and she departs from Gendry. We keep the scene in which Danny tells Samwell about the death of his father and brother by her direct order. This motivates Samwell to storm off with the intent of telling John about his true parentage. However, Bran intercepts Samwell and tells him to keep whatever he knows to himself unless he wants to become the new Hodor. Uh, this will also serve as a form of dramatic tension as well as comic relief. We can have a scene or two where Sam sees John kissing his... Uh, <laughs> his aunt Danny and wanting to say something about it uh, only to look over and see Bran giving him a cold death stare. In the final scene we have our main characters in the war room. We have a long montage of the different characters arguing over what to do and how to best prepare for the coming battle. But John remains silent staring at the shifting map and pieces. Finally John asks Bran what the Night King wants and Bran tells him he wants nothing but darkness but that he also wants John specifically to see that darkness. For some reason he can't see further than that and Bran is clearly vexed by this. The war room is silent for a while before Sansa finally demands to know what John plans to do. John looks up and says if the Night King wants darkness then we're going to light the biggest fire the North has ever seen. End of episode Wiener, 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 wiener. Episode 2, The Winds of Winter. We open with John standing in the sacred grove in front of the sacred tree, with one hand on the face of the old god. He says a prayer for forgiveness before walking away and joining a sympathetic-looking Danny, who has been waiting for him. We pan out, rising into the air to reveal a desolate landscape. All the trees of the north have been cut down, and large trenches now surround Winterfell that are being filled with wood and anything else that can burn. Grey Worm shows up and tells Danny that his men have finished clearing surrounding villages and confiscating any useful materials, as well as evacuating the townsfolk south. We see a montage of Danny's armies clearing out town folk. We also show tension brewing within the ranks of the Grand Alliance. A group of Northmen and Dothraki get into a deadly brawl over a wayward chicken, as a group of Unsullied watch them in their characteristic stoic disgust. Here we finally find out what Jon's plan really is, scorched earth. Sansa is furious about all of this and meets with Tyrion and Varys. Sansa tells them that between the armies of darkness and the foreign dragon queen, she is not sure which is worse. Tyrion is offended by this and reminds her that this course of action is part of Jon's plan. Varys, however, reminds them that none of this may matter for much longer and motions to the black storm front on the horizon. Darkness falls on Winterfell and the battle commences. You have flaming trench war as the undead try to breach the fiery barriers created by our protagonists. What follows is a scorched earth retreat as Jon and Danny's armies fall back behind yet more and more wood-filled trenches as the Dothraki fire flaming arrows to light said trenches from behind. This works well at first, but of course there are just too many of them. 
and they continue to pour through the flaming bottleneck created by the trenches. Our protagonists fall back to Winterfell Castle. The ranks start to break as the legions of the dead continue to trickle in. Jon convinces Danny to order a retreat, much to her furious dismay. However, as this retreat happens, some of our more dedicated heroes decide to remain at Winterfell to try to hold off the undead as long as possible. It's the only way the retreat will work. Here we have Brienne, Knight of the Seven Motherfucking Kingdoms, lead a suicide contingent against the undead. Jamie wants to stay with her, however, she persuades him to live on and fight another day. In the last scene, Brienne and a line of hardened suicide soldiers fight to the last against the ever-swelling bottleneck of burning undead streaming into Winterfell before they all die valiantly. End of episode. Wiener, 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 wiener. Episode 3, Moat Kaelin. We open with Cersei at King's Landing, being told about the ostensible defeat of Danny's armies in the North. Of course, she wants to know if her rivals are officially dead, but her advisors can't tell her for sure. She is also informed that panic in the city is worse now than ever. Cersei orders that anyone caught talking about the undead or trying to flee the city is to be hanged at once. We then get a montage showing just how bad things in King's Landing really are. Starved, emaciated, miserable-looking people flood the streets. There are hanged bodies everywhere, left to rot as a warning to would-be deserters. Cersei decides to send Bronn to investigate, and if possible, do what her late husband couldn't, and kill that dragon bitch. At the ruins of Moat Kaelin, our heroes dig in once again for yet another desperate trench and flame battle but this time they are caught by surprise. The Night King on his undead dragon tears through their defenses and sends Danny's armies into chaos. As Danny mounts her own dragon to fight the Night King, however, he retreats. Now the undead begin to attack on land. A chaotic battle ensues, but this time the enemy is too close, and there are massive casualties. It's less of a battle and more of a slaughter. Another desperate retreat begins. On the outskirts of Moat Kaelin, however, we have Melisandre, the Red Woman, show up, and she gets to have her quote-unquote you-shall-not-pass moment as she unleashes a magical firestorm in front of the advancing undead. It is almost as if the Lord of Light himself has opened up a second sun on Earth. This allows most of Danny's armies to escape, and we watch them retreat against a gigantic flaming inferno on the horizon. Fade to black. The following evening, in her royal tent... As her armies regroup further south, there is a small council meeting, and the discord between Danny and John grows. John says they are running out of places to retreat to. John then says that King's Landing will be the last redoubt against the Night King, and as such, they will have to make an alliance with Cersei, even if that means bending the knee. The council is shocked. Of course, this is unthinkable to Danny most of all. But John insists he did it to save his people, and why can't she? There's simply nowhere else to go, and the throne won't matter if everyone is dead. In a rage, Danny dismisses everyone and tells John and the rest to leave her be. In our final scene, Miss Sandy, of course, stays behind and comforts Danny, and the two converse in a nice, sweet little scene, when suddenly an arrow strikes Danny in the arm. A second and third arrow pass by as Danny calls for help. We see Grey Worm and the Unsullied run to the rescue as a shadowy figure in the bushes flees. We cut back to Danny, who has now realized that Miss Sandy has been struck in the chest. Miss Sandy then slowly proceeds to die in Danny's arms. End of episode. Wiener, 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 wiener. Episode 4 The Fork. 
Cersei is informed that the Golden Company has decided to abandon her. There is no sense in investing in a queen of Westeros as the entire continent will soon be a frozen graveyard. For once, a Lannister doesn't have to pay their debts. On top of this, she learns that her enemies have survived yet another battle with the undead and are headed her way. After a makeshift funeral for Missandei, Tyrion gets grilled by Danny. Danny is enraged and thirsty for revenge. She says that it was a Northman's arrow that killed Missandei. She thinks maybe it was someone in her own ranks that tried to have her killed. Tyrion insists that that isn't possible and that it was clearly Cersei who was behind it one way or another. Danny agrees that is more than likely, which is why she has taken Sir Jaime prisoner. Tyrion then decides to do a little investigating on his own, and eventually he finds Bronn hiding out in the woods, disguised as a Northman. Bronn confesses that he was the one who killed Missandei, though he'd been aiming for Danny. Cersei had promised him Highgarden if he did it. Bronn tells Tyrion that Cersei has become unstable. She stays locked in the Red Keep, paranoid of her own starving subjects. Bronn expresses real grief for what he did, but Tyrion tells him that he knows a way that he might be able to redeem himself. Tyrion and Bronn free Jaime. They then have a tense private meeting with the Starks. In a very uneasy scene with the Starks and the Lannister brothers, Jon agrees that he will try his best to stay Danny's hand now that war is almost inevitable. At the very least, he can convince her to keep her dragons grounded while their troops take out the scorpion nests. Bronn and Arya are to assist Jaime in infiltrating the Red Keep and persuading Cersei to abdicate and surrender the city. Of course, Arya doesn't like this plan at all. But John tells her privately that she is going as insurance. If there is any chance this can end peacefully, it must. Every life saved at King's Landing is an undead they won't have to face later. John tells Arya to be careful before she leaves. She responds with the old question, What do we say to death? John looks at her puzzled before she finishes. Not today. On the outskirts of camp, Jamie, Braun, and Tyrion explain to Arya how they will use the secret passages under King's Landing to infiltrate and escape from the Red Keep. Arya thanks them for the tip before she walks away and joins the hound who is waiting for her, and mounts a horse next to his. She informs the trio of men that she's not interested in working with them after all, but that she hopes that they make it to Cersei before she does. Arya and the hound slowly make their way down a fork in the road. End of episode. Wiener, 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 wiener. Episode 5, The Bells. The siege of King's Landing begins. First, a sea battle. The Battle of the Greyjoys. Theon, Yara, and Davos versus Euron. With no dragons in the sky to worry about, Euron uses his scorpions mounted on his ships to rip through our hero's lines. But it's not enough to win Euron the day. So, Euron leads a suicide charge against his enemies, and it turns into a ship-to-ship melee. Euron duels with Yara and kills her. And Davos, the salty old sea dog, mans his busted ship to the bitter end, bleeding out from a large piece of wooden shrapnel that hit him in the stomach. However, he still manages to sink a couple enemy ships uh, before he goes to his watery grave. After both are washed up on the beach, Theon finally confronts Euron. It's a savage and breathless duel, but Euron scores a critical hit. As Theon is bleeding out, Euron gloats and says that Theon was never a true ironborn, etc., etc. But then with the last of his strength, Theon surprise slashes Euron's throat, the thing he could never do to Ramsay, thus proving that he is indeed not Reek, but Theon Greyjoy once again. They both bleed out and die in the tide, a fitting end to the Greyjoys, R.I.P. 
Outside of King's Landing, Danny's armies are scaling the walls and taking heavy casualties as they assault the scorpion nest. John reminds Danny that they need to take the city in one piece, and that she could not use her dragons or any force more than absolutely necessary. Danny tells John that she's tired of listening to a general who has, so far, brought her nothing but a string of defeats. John retorts that he has kept them alive to fight another day. Inside the city, Arya and the Hound see what a terrible wreck the city has become. Chaos is taking hold as Danny's armies assault the outer walls. Back outside, Danny has had enough of being grounded and wants to join in the fight. She then learns that Jamie has quote unquote escaped in the night. It's now that John and Tyrion make the regrettable decision to tell her about their unsanctioned plan to get Cersei to abdicate. Just wait, Tyrion pleads and the bells will ring and the city will fall in one piece. But in a rage, Danny flies off on one of her dragons and begins to take out enemy troops. She dodges scorpion fire as she doubles back to blow open one of the main gates of the city. Elated, she flies high into the air as her troops begin to advance. It is now that a half-burned, desperate scorpion crew is able to score a critical hit on her dragon. Danny tumbles back to earth with her beast, well behind enemy lines. Seeing this, Jorah rides off on a horse. He makes his way through the streets of King's Landing, cutting to pieces any enemy Lannister who gets in his way. On the ground, Danny is slowly surrounded by enemy troops. Her dragon, still clinging to life, is able to keep them at bay. Growling but choking on blood, the dying dragon manages to burn a few of them before finally succumbing to its wounds. Enter Jorah, who now fights off the remaining enemy troops while sustaining a couple of critical hits himself. By the time reinforcements arrive, Jorah has bled out and died. Danny, having lost another dragon and her oldest friend, is obviously devastated. Jamie and Bronn find Cersei in the Red Keep, though they have to kill some guards when they are informed that the Queen specifically doesn't want to see Jamie for some reason. After a heartfelt plea from Jamie, to the surprise of everyone, Cersei actually agrees to abdicate. Cersei, however, insists on a passage through the sewers that will lead them to safety. Jamie, Bronn, the Mountain, and uh, Quyburn, the uh, Maester, begin their escape. But near the passage of the sewer, they are confronted by Arya and the Hound. Jamie tells them that it's over, but of course Arya disagrees. Bronn, however, um, decides this is outside of his pay grade and dismisses himself in a moment of levity before the duel ensues. Yes, we get our Clagan Bowl. You know I wouldn't leave out that, the uh, mythical battle between the Mountain and the Hound. Um, the mountain disregards orders to protect the queen in order to fight his brother at long last. Um, the mountain crushes Quybren's head, and the two brothers duke it out until they both die. More or less just keeping that from, um, from D&D's version. Arya and Jaime simultaneously duel before Arya is able to get a good gut stab into Jaime with Needle. However, Jaime, the old master swordsman, trips Arya and places his sword to her throat. He tells her revenge isn't worth it. It's what made his family so rotten. He then tells Arya to go bring word that the queen has surrendered and it's time to ring the bells. Beneath King's Landing, however, Cersei tells Jaime that she has no intention of actually giving up her throne peacefully, even if it means dying and taking most of her subjects with her. She has had the front half of the city lined with wildfire, and she will light it herself when her enemies are deep enough inside. Jamie almost begins to try to talk her out of it, but he realizes it's pointless. Cersei has completely lost her mind. She's pure evil, and he's the only one who can do anything about it. We cut to a Lannister general who gives news of the queen's abdication and orders to sound the bells of surrender. We then follow him as he leaves his post. 
bells ringing in his wake as Lannister soldiers drop their swords and helmets while he makes his way back to the Red Keep. Inside, he stops at the bodies of the Clagan brothers and seems to get emotional. He makes his way down under King's Landing, where he finds the bodies of Cersei and Jaime Lannister, as well as the wildfire rig. Cersei, being held by Jaime's limp body, has a knife in her heart. The general removes his face. It's Arya, of course. She gazes upon the scene in melancholy. A girl denied her revenge once more. End of episode. Wiener, 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 wiener. Episode 6, Dracarys. We are back at the smoldering ashes of Moat Kaelin. Melisandre removes her magic de-aging parcels and slowly dies as the Night King approaches. Coming upon her remains, the Night King picks up her magic necklace and crushes it in his palm. In spirit vision, Bran and the former Three-Eyed Raven converse again. We see strange, confusing things. A glorious-looking city that resembles a cross between the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and Gothic medieval castles. Bran is confused and frustrated. He wants to know how to defeat the Night King, but the voice of the former Three-Eyed Raven simply tells Bran that the time is coming when he will know what to do, and when that time comes, he may have to cross into a world that he can never come back from. Finally, we see King's Landing in its former glory. We see, impossibly, an elderly Ned Stark on his deathbed, surrounded by shadowy figures we can assume are loved ones. We see a middle-aged Jon Snow lean forward as Ned whispers something into his ear. We see Sansa wake up, as if spirit vision was her own dream. We then see her dressed, walking through the recently conquered King's Landing. Hungry men are being conscripted into Danny's armies. Bodies are being burned, including Danny's recently fallen dragon. She finds Bran and asks him about Jon. She asks if he's really her brother. Bran doesn't want to answer, but Samwell, risking it all, decides to spill the beans. Bran confirms that Samwell's story is true, and that he won't hold over Sam after all, because actually, deep down, he wanted Sansa to see. Besides, Sam kept the secret longer than he expected him to. A Dornish contingent arrives. They tell Jon that the undead have been moving south. It is now believed most of Westeros is going to be lost. Jon welcomes them to Danny's army, but in the distance he can hear a great commotion. He asks a passing soldier what is going on, and is informed that there is a gathering of Danny's armies in the city center. Strange, no one invited him. John makes his way to the city center, only to find that it's a public execution that is taking place. Tyrion is being sentenced to death, along with several Lannister generals. Varys tells Tyrion that it was him. He ratted him out. Someone was going to have to pay the price for Miss Andy's death, and that he probably should have turned Bronn in while he still had the chance. And freeing his brother did not help his case at all. Tyrion remarks that he is once again being convicted for saving King's Landing, but he hopes it was all worth it. Jon confronts Danny and asks her what she's doing. There is no time for this. These men need to be preparing the city for the undead. They need to fix the hole Danny blew in the wall. Danny doesn't even look at Jon, however. She says morale has been low and traitors need to be punished. Besides, why not celebrate the only victory these men have had? A victory won, no thanks to Jon. Tyrion is moments away from getting roasted when Sansa steps forward and falsely confesses to the attempt on Danny's life. If she wants revenge so badly, she'll have to kill a Stark in front of everyone. Danny, however, is more than happy to oblige and motions to two Unsullied to grab Sansa for her execution. Shocked, Arya demands to know what the hell Sansa is doing, to which she replies with a sinister smile, either my king will save me or the North will avenge me. Jon can't stay neutral anymore. He walks out in front of everyone and demands that Danny stops all of this at once. When Danny refuses, he kills the two Unsullied holding Sansa. 
Furious, Grey Worm attacks John. An epic duel ensues. Evenly matched, the two men fight sword to spear until it almost looks like John is about to lose. However, in a stunning move, John swings and decapitates Grey Worm to a cacophony of cheers and boos from the audience. Half horrified at what he just did, he turns to Danny as if to formulate an apology, but it's too late. Danny launches into a tirade, half in Dothraki and half in Low Valerian. She says that soon her glorious armies will defeat the Night King once and for all, and that there will be no place in her new empire for traitors and two-faced royals. Her armies, whipped into a frenzy, cheer in approval. She turns to Jon, her face now boiling with rage, and says, Jon Snow, I, Daenerys Targaryen, first of my name, yada yada, sentence you to death. Dracarys. Fire bursts from her dragon and fills the entire screen. End of episode. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. Episode 7, The Long Night. Civil war has broken out. We see a long, slow-motion sweeping shot of the Dothraki, Northmen, Lannister, and Unsullied all beating and killing each other in a gigantic melee as brilliant light and shadow passes over them. However, we see some of the men ignoring the violence around them and dropping their weapons, stunned looks on their faces, slowly turning to reverence. Some men even drop to their knees. We see Jon Snow, completely naked, his armor having melted right off, but he is unscathed. His hair has turned silver. He is still holding his sword, which glows red as if it has just been taken from a blast furnace. Jon looks down and realizes that his hand, wrapped around the burning hot hilt, is unaffected. Danny's look of shock gives way to being completely appalled at what she has just done. But then her face turns to pure terror as she realizes the implication of this. John is a Targaryen and the prince who was promised, as well as the rightful king, and everyone can see it. Deflated and defeated, Danny mounts her dragon. However, the dragon looks at John for a time as if he is possibly his new master, but then takes to the sky and vanishes over the horizon. The men and city folk now cheer for their bare-naked new king, John the Unburned. Fade to black. Darkness falls on King's Landing. A now fully clothed John the Unburned prepares the city for its final battle against the Night King. Lannister, Northmen, Unsullied, Wildling, Dornmen, Dothraki, and even a couple Ironborn are now all united under their new leader. The women and children of King's Landing are being evacuated on the few ships that remain. Sansa, however, insists that she will stay with her family to the end. The final battle commences at the gate Danny blew up. It has been reinforced with as much kindling as possible and set ablaze. The undead pour through the flaming gate. John leads the way. As always, however, our heroes are forced to slowly retreat as the Dothraki fire flaming arrows overhead to light the houses of the city on fire. Anything to slow down the undead. A few remaining scorpion nests, now armed with dragon glass tipped spears, fire at the White Walkers with great success. But, of course, it isn't enough to stop the horde. Inevitably, the lines crumble as the undead push through the city. A final desperate retreat begins as the last of the survivors make their way to the docks. Arya, however, stays behind. She has an idea about how to slow the undead down. Above, however, the Night King has come, riding his zombie dragon, and he begins to rain icy hell on the city's last remaining defenders. He blasts the Red Keep before diving down and decimating a precious remaining column of soldiers. He then makes his way to the civilians evacuating. John rushes to a scorpion nest and begins to load a spear, but the Night King spots him. The Night King makes a beeline for John. John fires but misses. The Night King dodges without so much as a blink in his icy gaze. The Night King closes in on John. 
There is nowhere to run now. Enter Danny. She has returned flying on her dragon, and she attacks the Night King. Here's where we get all the dragon porn we ever wanted, okay? It's a, it's kaiju battle time. Uh, ice dragon versus fire dragon. It's epic, it's awesome, but most importantly, it allows Danny to redeem herself a bit. Braun shows up and tells John that with all due respect, his majesty is a terrible shot. John helps Braun load another dragon glass spear. While Danny distracts the Night King midair, Braun fires and hits the ice dragon, taking its head clean off. The Night King falls to earth. He's fine, of course, because he's the Night King, but it's the first time we see him almost upset. Danny's surprise dragon attack restores some morale to the remnant of our hero's armies, and they bravely charge into battle with great vigor. It is short-lived, however, as the masses of undead begin to overwhelm them. It is all but hopeless now, and our heroes are beaten back to the docks. Varius, not fast enough to escape, is killed by the undead. Arya makes her way through the city, battling or evading the occasional undead. In the sewers, she lights the wildfire main line that Cersei had set up. Arya flees as the flame burns down and makes her way back to the Red Keep, but the undead are starting to make their way in. She jumps out a window only to fall into a hornet's nest of undead below. She screams as they start to tear into her flesh. Jon tells Bronn that it's time for them to make their way to the docks, but Bronn waves him goodbye and continues to man the dragonglass scorpion. We watch as Bronn heroically takes out several lines of advancing White Walkers as Jon runs away. A chain reaction of green wildfire now begins to blow up the front half of the city. We watch as thousands upon thousands of undead and a few uh, unfortunate living are blown to pieces in the most spectacular use of wildfire in the entire run of the show. As the chain of green explosions grows closer, Bronn removes a flask of wine from his belt and raises it in a cheers to the oncoming inferno before being consumed by its flames. Near the docks, Bran tells Jon and Sansa he now knows what it is he has to do. He says that Jon must kill the Night King in the Red Keep. Jon asks Bran how he will make it. Bran says that he will clear a path for him. Sansa asks how he will do that. Bran doesn't answer. Instead, he says an almost tearful goodbye to his brother and sister before his eyes roll back in his head. Bran wargs the Night King, and all of the undead freeze in place. End of episode. Wiener, 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 wiener. Episode 8, King's Blood, Dragon's Blood. We are outside of a bright springtime winterfell. We see Bran, walking on his own two feet, approach the central castle. Inside the gates, we realize we are back at the first episode of Game of Thrones. All the Starks are alive and well, as are the Lannisters. Bran shows his humanity once more, as he is happy, overjoyed even, to see all of his old loved ones again. No one at the festivities sees him, of course, except for an oddly familiar stranger who salutes Bran. The stranger says nothing, but leads him outside, where Bran sees himself as a boy. Bran realizes this is his opportunity to change things, and so he does. He alters the timeline so that Jaime and Cersei are discovered mid-coitus by someone else, his brother Rob. In a montage, we are shown the result of this. The Lannisters are deposed, Cersei is exiled, Jaime and Joffrey, who is now technically a bastard, is sent to the Wall to join the Night's Watch. Ned is asked, once again, to help King Robert restore order to his kingdom in the wake of this scandal by becoming Hand of the King, and Ned agrees. Oddly, though, Ned also asks Jon Snow to come with him. Now, doubly paranoid, King Robert intensifies his search for the Targaryen siblings and succeeds in having them killed. Further in time, we see King Robert die, 
we see a sickly, older Ned Stark reveal to John his true heritage on his deathbed. We see an older Jon Snow, now king of Westeros, leading a glorious, peaceful kingdom. Back in Winterfell, Bran marvels at the new world that he has created, and it's one that he has created by saving himself nonetheless. He is overjoyed to be free of his affliction, and free of being the three-eyed raven. But his joy slowly sours. He knows that something is wrong. It's all too good to be true. He hears the voice of the former three-eyed raven telling him to look deeper, and he stares into the eyes of the stranger. His vision of Winterfell begins to change. The strange, luminous city we saw earlier appears impossibly in the clouds. Bran is drawn to it, but the stranger tries to stop him. When Bran disregards him, he screams a strange animal scream. Suddenly, Bran is deep inside old Valeria, 400 years in the past. Bran enters a great hall filled with sorcerers who seem to be partaking in a dark ritual. They are sacrificing baby dragons. They bind the dragons with magic and cut their throats before draining the blood into goblets, which they drink from. An ancient hero king enters with his best swordsman and tells them to stop. Clearly, this cult is not state-sanctioned. But the sorcerers are glad to see him. They kill the hero king's men with blood-boiling magic and then proceed to ritually sacrifice the hero king. As they kill him and drink his blood, they chant over and over again, Nogar hen Darius. Nogar hen Zaldrises. We see Bran's physical body and Sansa's arms back in King's Landing. He begins to chant softly with them, Blood of the King, Blood of the Dragon. We then see the reign of the Dark Sorcerer Cult. We see them devouring the blood of royals. We see old Valeria in bondage, but something goes wrong. Their magic gets out of control. In their hunger for power, they unleashed a deep, unholy spirit. They have angered the fire spirits that once guarded the old Valerian Empire. There is a great calamity. We see magical firestorms rip through the city, as some of the sorcerers spontaneously combust as well. We see volcanoes erupt in the distance. We witness the legendary doom of Valeria. We see a lone sorcerer, a maimed survivor of the doom, in some kind of exile. We see him in the north, beyond the wall. He kills wildlings and children of the forest, until he eventually finds the White Walkers frozen in deep ice. The White Walkers and the Night King were driven so deep into the north by the ancients that even they themselves became frozen in the deep ice. The sorcerer longed for endless power and immortality, but he, along with his cult, failed. Instead, he decides to take his revenge on the realms of the living by using his magic to awaken the White Walkers that the children of the forest had created in their war against the First Men. It is they that will defeat the mortal world and seal it in an everlasting fertile darkness. We see the sorcerer use dark magic to thaw the White Walkers and their king. As the White Walkers slowly emerge from the ice, the sorcerer cuts his wrists open and bleeds his dragon king-infused blood onto the sleeping Night King and dies. The Night King rises and turns the sorcerer's corpse into the first zombie in their new undead army, thus allowing the evil sorcerer to attain immortality of a kind. We cut back to Bran at King's Landing in the arms of Sansa. He's having an intense seizure as blood runs from his nose and eyes. He's gone too far. Now we enter the dark side of the alternate timeline. Joffrey has slowly taken over and corrupted the Night's Watch with his money. We see wildlings completely overrun them. We see Crow Jamie die in a battle against the wildlings. We see Crow Joffrey having his throat split by Ygritte. We see King John putting an end to the wildling advance, however. He dismisses Ygritte's story of the undead before having her hanged. It takes the Night King longer to breach the ice wall, 
But when he does, John's Westeros is totally unprepared for what is coming. We see the Night King with his hand around King John's throat. The Night King raises him up and cuts his chest open. John's blood pours all over his face and into his open mouth. The glow of his eyes slowly turns from blue to purple. We then see the whole world conquered by this magically empowered Night King. We see Bran back outside Winterfell. The oddly familiar stranger is, of course, the Night King. The stranger being played by the same actor, sans makeup. Bran realizes that this has all been a great temptation, and further, a terrible trap. John the Unburned makes his way through the ghostly city, filled with the warged undead, sitting still in the darkness and snow. There is nothing but the light of his glowing sword to guide him. John makes his way into the Red Keep. Inside the throne room, he sees the Night King, frozen, still warged, his eyes flickering. John runs past all the warged undead in the throne room, his sword raised to slay the evil one at last. Back at sunny Winterfell, Bran climbs the tower where Jaime and Cersei are and beckons to his younger self to follow him. The original timeline restored, Bran unwargs and wakes up. Bran is terrified and looks half dead. Inside the throne room, a mock royal court of the undead has been assembled. Now unwarged, the zombified bodies of various Jaime, Cersei, and others stand side by side with White Walkers. A little zombie girl holding a crowned, decapitated head brings the Night King his icy new adornment. He removes the crown and places it on his head with reverence and bows to John before sitting down on the Iron Throne. Outside, the undead have resumed their killing of the city's last defenders. The docks begin to be swarmed. City folk begin to dive into the icy water to escape. Danny lands her dragon right in front of Sansa and Bran, however, and begins blasting the onslaught with fire, giving them time to escape. John fights off a few White Walkers before being knocked down. One White Walker grabs John and restrains him. The Night King then rises with blade in hand to kill the last Targaryen king. Suddenly, an undead woman leaps out and shatters the White Walker holding John. It's Arya. She's roughed up, but somehow she managed to steal the face of an undead. John grabs his flaming sword and rises. Arya begins her remarkably acrobatic battle with the court of the undead. John charges at the Night King. The biggest duel of Game of Thrones begins. John furiously swings his sword as the Night King calmly and methodically dodges his blows. He seems almost completely unmoved while John is giving it his all. The Night King punches and kicks John repeatedly. They are heavy blows and John begins to bleed profusely. It is almost like the Night King is just playing with him. Until finally, of course, John, in a legendary epic second win, shatters the Night King's sword and kicks him back onto the throne before he drives his flaming blade down through his chest and into the Iron Throne. The Night King releases a strange scream that sounds like thousands of glass harps echoing through the King's Landing. Almost like a song of fire and ice. Then the Night King, the flaming sword, and the throne all shatter. The armies of the undead fall. John turns around and sees Arya. She smiles at him before falling to her knees. John runs over to her. She has been mortally wounded. John is distraught, but Arya asks him, blood running from the corner of her mouth, what do we say to death? John answers tenderly, not today. Arya dies. John picks up her body and carries her out of the throne room. Fade to black. It is some time later. It is sunny over the ruins of King's Landing. Winter has ended and spring has sprung. The survivors of Westeros are rebuilding. Sansa and Tyrion meet with Jon at his makeshift home. 
Sansa is shocked to hear that Jon has abdicated his throne. Jon insists that he was king for as long as he needed to be. Besides, Gendry will be a much better king than he ever could be. He's a builder, and these are times of rebuilding, not of war. Sansa says that he is already building a septum in Arya's honor. Jon says that she certainly deserves to be remembered, but he doubts Arya would like that sort of thing. They both have a painful laugh. Jon asks Sansa if she will stay and help King Gendry. He might need a good queen after all. But she says no. In fact, she will return north and rebuild Winterfell, along with her lawfully wedded husband, Tyrion. Jon is surprised at first, but nods approvingly. Sansa then, in a very concerned tone, asks Jon what he plans to do now. Reluctantly, Jon admits that he is leaving to find Daenerys. Sansa is angry at first and reminds Jon that not only did she try to kill the both of them, but that Danny is also his aunt. Jon replies that Ned taught his children well about how to live honorably, but he didn't teach them shite about love, probably because it leads to nothing but madness and dishonor. Tyrion jokes that maybe the Targaryens and the Lannisters weren't so different after all. A shame they couldn't see it that way. Sansa, perhaps recounting how Danny ended up saving her life, accepts her cousin's decision. Outside, where the new septum is being built, Bran sits, surrounded by a handful of survivors. The line between those born north and south of the wall is gone now. They look like the first men. Bran recounts to them the history of Westeros, as the people intone the words quietly. Jon, accompanied by Sansa, goes to ask Bran where Danny is. Bran says nothing for a time, before leaning close to Jon and whispering into his ear, Enagor hen Darius, Enagor hen Zaldrisis. Puzzled, John says goodbye to his little brother and sister. He makes his way through the audience. He says goodbye to Tormund, now the Hand of the King, and Samwell, the new headmaster. We see a montage of King's Landing and the rest of Westeros being rebuilt, as well as John making his way across the sea to Essos as Sansa converses with her brother. Sansa asks Bran if there's any way she could ever speak to her father again. She saw him as an old man. It haunts her. But Bran tells Sansa that life and death must stay in their proper places, and that time isn't ours to tamper with. He knows that as well as anybody now. And that those who make fate their plaything create monsters, like the White Walkers. Sansa says she still dreams of an ancient city. She knows it can't be Old King's Landing, so maybe it was Old Valeria. Bran asks her why she assumes it's a city from the past. What once was must always be again. New houses will inevitably rise and fall. The wheel of men, like the wheel of the seasons, can't be broken. Folly to say otherwise. We see small groups of survivors throughout the Seven Kingdoms rebuilding, picking through the ruins, burning the dead, as well as new lords and ladies claiming their new thrones. Bran continues, saying that fire and ice have returned to their corners of the world, but one day, inevitably, they will rise again as they long to reunite. Neither the realm of gods nor men can stop it, not even he, the three-eyed raven, can stop it. We see John speaking with Dario Naharis in Marine. Dario seems to be enjoying his reign as king, but clearly doesn't know where Danny is. John leaves disappointed. We see him wandering the desert. He grows more and more weathered. We see him trading with desert folk, as well as partying with and then dueling some Dothraki men. His beard grows longer and longer. We see John spot Danny's dragon in the wilderness. He tracks it until he finds her on a mountainside. She has a noticeable baby bump. The reuniting of Targaryen blood has lifted whatever curse Danny once thought she had. Finally, Sansa asks Bran what he said to John. Bran answers, I told him to go home. We see John and Danny on dragonback high in the sky. They break through the cloud cover. 
Below them is the ruins of old Valeria. End of Game of Thrones. Wiener, 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 wiener. And that's it, folks. That's all she wrote. Or that's all he wrote, he being me. Um, thank you so much for indulging me in this little uh, fan fiction. If people liked it, um, uh, I guess you can, um, I don't know, send me some nudes or something. Or maybe a little bit of, a little bit of Bitcoin. Um for your king, okay? For your dragon king. Um, if you didn't like it, that's okay. You can send me angry emails about why it sucked. Um, feel free. I'm I'm sure I'm sure some other super dork will will find <laughs> will find some plot holes. <laughs> I know that I made some questionable choices. I do want to reiterate that my goal was to just make a more interesting, more robust uh, Game of Thrones finale in just a slightly longer uh, runtime, right? Because, like I said, and I want to repeat, I think you needed a full season to actually end the show properly. But I still contend they could have a little bit of effort, a little bit of creativity, um, made something more interesting. And that's hopefully what I demonstrated with this. Um, uh, and if, if people like this, uh, you know, okay, nerd alert. I, I also, I was also working on a, I had a, I had a, how to fix the prequels, uh, blog a few years back that I was working on and I never quite finished it because I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting too old to be playing star Wars <laughs> with, with my friends, but, um, if you didn't like it, don't worry about it. We'll be getting, we'll be getting back to our regular, um, uh, schizotopian programming next week i'm um, gonna have an episode coming out about ai and uh, psychoanalysis and how that relates to science fiction and porn and all of those uh terrifying modern technological uh quandaries instead of um terrifying medieval fantasy quandaries i guess um in any case thank you guys so much and have a nice weekend Wiener, 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 wiener. One wiener, 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 wiener next to another wiener. Two wieners alongside yet another wiener. Nice wiener, soft wieners, non-erect